Asia Pacific Currents. News and labour issues from the Asia Pacific region. We strongly condemn the, the police that arrest、uh, the protesters. Saturday mornings at nine o'clock on Community Radio 3CR. All groups of the world should unite to fight this greedy capitalist. Brought to you by Australia Asia Worker Links. Good morning and welcome to Asia Pacific Currents this Saturday, the third of March. You're listening to Community Radio 3CR. I'm Giselle Hanna, and I'm taking you through to 9:30 this morning. A big thank you to Annie who finished up yet another fabulous solidarity breakfast show with a lot of.、Um, Pieces from the Unemployed Workers Forum that was held yesterday. Very interesting content. Thanks, Annie, for that. Of course, coming up. On, oh, before I go into that,、um, Asia Pacific Currency is brought to you by Australia Asia Worker Links, and you can find us on the web, all the w's dot a a w l dot org dot au. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter. So look us up on those social media platforms. In the second part of the show today. We're going to look at the siege on eastern Ghouta in Syria,、um, and just understand a little bit more about what's happening there. Apart from the、um, human tragedy, the loss of life, the、um, the human casualties in that part of the world. I mean, it's quite、uh, difficult to watch for those of you that have been following the news.、Um, there is a demonstration in Melbourne today、uh, at the State Library at twelve thirty. So we're going to speak to one of the speakers and one of the organisers of the demonstration, but also、uh, get behind some of those issues to understand what's happening there.、Um, I do have some announcements that I'll make at the end of the show.、Uh, next week is International Women's Day. Victoria Trades Hall Council has a suite of events all week,、uh, and AAWL along with AFIDA. Are organising a public meeting for Monday night, so I'm going to、um, give you the details of that towards the end of the show,、um, just so that as many of you can get along to that as possible and hear、um, a little bit more about the global picket line work that AAWL is doing. But of course,、um, looking at some. Uh, international activities across the region,、um, and hearing from the IUF, the International Food Workers Union,、um, Shrita,、uh, I think, is the speaker from the IUF that's going to be here, and the NUW and Afida are also on those platforms. But we are going to go to news from around the region, and we're going to kick off in South Korea. In mid-February, the General Motors company made the announcement that they will close their Gusan assembly plant in South Korea. Around 2,000 workers will lose their jobs. GM representative Barry Engel then proceeded to state that they will also evaluate the remaining three Korean manufacturing plants over the next few weeks. These three other factories employ a total of 1,600 workers. There's mounting anger and protest by Korean workers at these decisions. Once again, companies put profits above workers' lives as they scour the world for the cheapest costs and highest profits. This is almost exactly what happened in Australia in relation to vehicles manufacturing, and of course we. 
were fed the lie that actually people just aren't purchasing vehicles anymore and that the market is dying worldwide. Actually, the Ford factory and the Toyota factory were moved to the Thai-Burma border where manufacturing continued at much, much cheaper rates um, by workers who were so desperate worked for pittance there. So uh, don't believe the hype is the point. I don't know where these GM factories are moving to, um, but I would not, it would not surprise me if they opened up in countries that have military coups and have um, an even greater reduction of democratic space like Cambodia, like Thailand, like uh, Turkey now actually. Moving now to India, on the 18th of February, 14 labour organisations held a one-day meeting in New Delhi to discuss the state of the workers' movement in India and possible ways forward. While in the last few years there have been incredible struggles like the Maruti and the Prekol and the Anganwadi workers, these either only gain temporary victories or face the full repressive force of the state. The workshop saw that the main issues that workers are facing are low wages, precarious work contracts and unfair labour laws. The outcome was a commitment to support workers in struggle and those who are in jail and to coordinate better the various labour struggles. And yeah, so we can relate to that. The The main conversation for us um, as a global labour movement is how do we actually fight to win and not just win those struggles, but actually win the world. Um, and I'm not sure that any of these conferences have yet gotten to the bottom of that very important question, but the struggle continues and no doubt um, the discussions about how to break through will also continue. Moving to Turkey, last Wednesday, Ahmet Altan, a prominent Turkish novelist and newspaper editor, was handed an additional six years of jail only a week after he was sentenced to life in prison. These additional six years were, in, uh, were for an article that Ahmet wrote in support of Kurdish people and for a text in which he criticised President Erdogan. The recent long-term jail sentences given to critics of the Turkish government is a dangerous new sign for workers and activists in Turkey. In addition, the propaganda against any opponents of the Turkish government is reaching new levels with TV hosts regularly calling for the death of any traitors to Turkey. It sounds very much like the Les Majeste laws in Thailand. Um, and we've talked about the similarities between Turkey and Thailand quite a bit, the um, the militarisation of both countries. So effectively, both are under military coup or military rule, um, even though the coup against Erdogan was not successful. And now this absolute um, closing down of democratic space where you can't criticise the government at all. Moving now to Saudi Arabia, this week two human rights activists, Issa al-Nukhaifa and Issam Kushak, were sentenced to six years and four years of jail respectively. Their crime was to publicly criticise the Saudi Arabian government's policies in relation to Yemen and other internal policies. These latest sentences are just part of an ongoing campaign by the government of Saudi Arabia to silence any critics, especially in times of rising economic inequality and cutbacks. Such crackdowns on local activists makes the task for the millions of migrant workers in Saudi Arabia to organise and improve their conditions even more difficult. And our last story for the morning is from Australia. It's been over four years since Reza Barati was murdered during a riot at the Manus concentration camp in Papua New Guinea. The fact that in all these years no one has been brought to justice reflects the Australian government's contempt for refugees. 
In the other offshore concentration camps in Nauru, a new leaked report attests that refugees have been housed in unhealthy conditions for years due to untreated mould outbreaks. In late March, coordinated protest rallies will be held all around Australia demanding the closure of these concentration camps and an end to the repression of asylum seekers and refugees. Those coordinated um, activities will happen on Palm Sunday, an annual, um, well, a traditional event for the refugee movement to um, raise awareness and actually demonstrate in favour of the rights of refugees. And the significance of linking it with Palm Sunday um, is because, of course... (laughs) The mothers of Jesus, the mother of Jesus, and the father of Jesus, um, um, traditionally um, went from innkeeper to innkeeper, were ousted from Jerusalem, uh, were forced into Nazareth in order to find somewhere to to rest and to have this baby because the repression was so deep in the country at the time. Um, The the, there were threats to um, newborn boys of that time. So um, history continues to repeat itself from biblical times until now. Uh, we still haven't found uh, a way to peacefully coexist with capitalism. So really, there's just one solution to that. That's all for news from around the region Uh I'm going to go to some community announcements and then we'll be joined by uh, Monthar Hamdush, who is our special guest. CR, always bringing you the latest union news. They're coming after us at the moment. They want to get rid of penalty rates, the big push from businesses. They want to get rid of all the things that you and I have fought for. So there's tens of thousands of jobs gone, contracted out to sham contracting arrangements. On 8.55am and on the web, 3cr.org.au. This is James Henry here and you're listening to 3CR, 8.55am and digital streaming on 3cr.org.au. It is 11 minutes past 9 o'clock here on Community Radio 3CR. You're listening to Asia Pacific Currents. East Ghouta has been under siege by the Syrian government since 2013, uh, arguably to... um, try and wrest that particular area back from ISIS. Since the 18th of February this year, the Syrian government, with the support of Russia, have sent in ground troops. And there has been a massive siege against that area with up to 20,000 innocent civilians having been murdered or displaced in that period of time. There are demonstrations right across Australia and, in fact, right across the world. One of the speakers and organisers of the Melbourne rally is Monta Hamdush. He's a Syrian activist based here in Melbourne and he's joining me to talk about the situation in Syria. Welcome, Monta, to the program. Uh, hi, Giselle. Thank you for the opportunity to speak about what's happening in my country. You're most welcome. I want to talk about what the political significance is of um, Eastern Ghouta and why the siege at this time. Uh, Yeah, it's an interesting question indeed. Actually, the answer is very straightforward because strategically the Ghouta is very close to the center of Damascus and it is the main food supplier to the capital city. 
And it is very famous for being the agricultural ring of Damascus. Its people stood against the government with the Syrian revolution since its early days in 2011. Uh, the opposition fighters of Ghouta were able actually to reach the Abbasian station, which is located in the middle of Damascus and is very close proximity to the presidential palace sometime in 2012. Uh, but due to the emergence of the terrorist ISIS in Ghouta, the opposition fighters had to withdraw from Damascus and go back to their homes to protect their families from the extreme ISIS organization. Afterwards, the Ghouta has been completely isolated since 2013 with uh, minimum access of humanitarian aid and food into the city. Uh, so from this brief history of events, you can see why the collapse of Ghouta is very critical for the Assad regime to stay in power. And the recent brutal attack on the Ghouta is merely actually to force the opposition to sit at the negotiation table with Russia and Iran and accept their offers with no conditions. So what's happening in Ghouta is actually very critical, not only for the Syrian revolution, it is also critical for the uh, government in Syria to stay in power. Russia, <clears throat> Russia and Iran agreed in 2017 to designate East Ghouta as a de-escalation zone. And it was... Um, this is the the expectation was that Syria and Russian fighter jets were not going to fly over that that area, but the agreement has broken down. Why did that happen? Actually, you know, when when you look back, like what happened since uh, seven years ago, so the Russians and Iranians, including of course the Assad regime, they never held to the terms of any treaty. So uh, whenever there is any escalation agreement or a no-fly zone or whatever, they will break it within 24 hours or 40, uh, 48 hours in the best case. So likewise, you know, that, that, that they tried to trick the opposition forces in Homs. Uh, probably you already heard the news. So when they promised the opposition that they will give them, like, safe uh, haven if they leave Homs, and then once they did that, they arrested women and children. And they did the same in Aleppo in 2016 as well. So Russians claim that they are bombarding Ghouta actually because the Nusra front is there. And on the recent just a few weeks, the opposition actually requested to vacate al-Nusra fighters from Ghouta, but Russians did not accept that. So what's happening in Ghouta actually, it is an organized crime against civilians with no consideration to any human rights or any international law by the Russian military forces and the Iranian-backed Syrian forces. So, uh, so whatever the agreement is, as soon as there is no very uh, powerful international pressure on the Russians and the Assad government, they will not actually hold to any treaty. So what, we've spoken about Russia quite a bit. What is the significance of the relationship between Russia and Syria? What do you make of this alliance? Actually, this is a very interesting question. So since actually since I was born, I hear Russia in the news uh, you know, because I, uh, I lived in Syria for most of my life. So Syria has been strategically aligned with Russia for more than, I would say, probably 30 years since the days of the criminal father of the current criminal president of Syria. So they consider Syria as their last strategic ally in the Middle East, and thus they take every effort to protect it from being fought. Uh, Russia is also benefiting a lot from selling weapons, of course, and military equipment to the Assad regime. And it, they also use this war, as you know, to test their most recent developments in terms of weaponries. And, of course, these testings are all happening on children and women and civilians in Syria. And uh, I would say probably it's another excuse for Russia to show their power to the, to the U.S. and the Western countries 
uh, and they, they want to tell everybody that they, they are now like they become very competitive, especially after their weapons largely failed in Iraq after the American invasion. On the other hand, of course, the Syrian government has promised Russia to have exclusive contracts in order to rebuild Syria. Uh, of course, the Syria that they have both destroyed together. And just looking at other um, regional players, what about Turkey's interests, particularly uh, their their military activities in Afrin? Uh, I mean, look, Turkey is one of probably the countries that significantly helped the Syrian people. So they, they gave a lot of support to the Syrian people in the early days of the, of the revolution. They opened their borders, as you know, for displayed and, and affected Syrians since the, probably 2011. And as Syrians, to be honest, we highly respect Turkey for their stand. But on the other hand, what's happening in Africa is mainly, I would say, to protect Turkey's national security from the terrorist Kurdish separatists, uh, such as PKK or PYD. And by the way, these terrorist organizations work very closely with the Assad regime, as we have recently witnessed after the Turkey military operation in Afrin. However, I should point out here that killing civilians is not acceptable, by, and it is actually condemned by every free Syrian. So the Kurdish Syrians are not less important to us than the people of Ghouta. They are also our brothers and sisters, and we really, we really worry about them as well. So Turkey has to be cautious about this as well. I mean, we're just seeing a human tragedy unfold in Syria. I mean, you talked about the casualties. It's quite devastating to watch. Hospitals are being bombed. People are being forced to leave their homelands. Many people are resisting leaving but risk their lives in so doing. The big question, and it is a very, very big question, but it is the question in front of us right now, how do we end the war in Syria? And of course, once the war is over, that's not the end for the civilians living there. The next question is, how do we rebuild? How do we return life to normality for people in this part of the world? Actually, I hope ending the war is as easy as sitting on this interview. So as you know, it is very complicated nowadays, but uh, we as Syrians think the solution for our country need to come from the international community. So first, there should be a big pressure on Russia and Iran to withdraw from Syria. And the international community has to work with the Syrians, not with any proxy, to remove Assad from power. And this regime actually helped creating ISIS and released extreme fighters from its presence. So it's a risk for not only Syrians, for the world, actually. And it is the sole responsible for all the terrorist attacks that happened in the West. And the international community as well, they have to help the Syrian opposition to establish a national army. Because, as you know, the, the, the old national army is actually completely like traitors. They, they work with the government to kill their own people. So we need to establish a new army that can take control over the country and protect its sovereignty. And also, that the, the new army has to play a key role, actually, in preventing any sectarian events after that. And number four, uh, the international community has to recognize the opposition political bodies as official, official representatives, actually, of the Syrian people. Because as you know, until now, all Syrians have to deal with the Syrian government in order to get any single document. Like if you need to, uh, to, to issue a passport, you have to go back to the Syrian embassy. And if you are an opponent, you will not be able to get that document. And you have to wait. And sometimes you will be in trouble, you know, if you need to travel or if your family is stuck somewhere. So it is really suffering to the Syrian people, and this is very critical to the uh, end of this war. So once the Syrian government loses its recognition from the international community, the next step, definitely the government will fall.
And if I will come to your second part of the question, rebuilding Syria. Yeah, of course, rebuilding Syria is a matter of time, as you know, because it is, uh, the war has probably destroyed more than 70% of the country up to now, so the recent uh, stats. And this can be done if Syrians are given control over their natural resources. As you know, Syria is very rich, so we have uh, gas, we have oil as well, so we, and we have very uh, successful in the past, we had very successful ag agricultural uh, uh, economy. So, so we, have, we have a lot of potential to rebuild the country, but of course we need help from international community in the early days after the fall of the Assad regime. So we hope that this will happen and the war will end and peace will come back to my beautiful country. Just before we go into the details of the um, rally that's coming up this afternoon, I mean, one of the consequences of the uh, the war is a creation of a massive, massive refugee population. Where are these people going? And are there demands in all of this to um, put pressure on the international community to receive refugees from Syria? Yeah, this is very sad, actually, and good question, because, uh, yeah, I mean, most of the refugees currently, they are located in uh, three countries, the neighbors, uh, Turkey, Jordan, Lebanon. So Turkey is hosting, uh, I would say, probably the majority of those refugees, then Lebanon, then Jordan. Uh, but as you know, Lebanon and Jordan, they are very poor countries, so they cannot uh, actually support their own people. So they're already in a big trouble with accommodating refugees and to come to like uh, our country, Australia, here. So it is very shameful to see what they're doing in that uh, direction. So they bring in a couple of thousands every year, and they think they are solving the problem or helping to solve the problem. So we need more effort from the international community. We need more effort from the Western countries to save the, the, the Syrian people. So there are a lot of Syrians who had no uh, support at all. So some, some Syrians, for example, like I would say, uh, so who have like friends or family overseas, they can support them and send them a bit of money from here and there. But when you come to the uh, 90% of the Syrians, they have no support at all. And if the international community and the UN uh, do not intervene and provide the humanitarian aid, those people will starve until death. And this is what we have seen in many places across the country. Well, Montha, thank you so much for sharing all of those insights with us. There is, of course, an opportunity for people to get involved and to demonstrate in support of the Syrian people and to call for an end to the war, an end to the bombings and an end to the ground troops that have entered um, eastern Ghouta. Tell us a little. Tell us the details about the demonstration this afternoon. Uh, yeah, I mean, today we, we are holding this rally to tell, actually, first of all, the people of Syria, and particularly the people of Ghouta, that you are not forgotten. And the people of Melbourne is here with you. So we are listening to your struggle. We are watching. And we hope that you will basically uh, defeat the dictator of Syria. We will stand today to ask the Australian government as well to be more effective in its efforts. So Australia, as a leading country in the world, they have to do much more than what they are doing right now to bring peace to Syria. To listen to the cries of the despair of the Syrian infants, children, elderly, and women, and to help save the half million Syrians who are trapped now in Ghouta. So I call upon every proud Australian to come down today and say the word for the sake of humanity. Because as we have been witnessing in the last couple of years, the humanity has failed completely failed in Syria, 
uh, and we need to do more. So as people, we have the power of the world, so we can say something. Let's say it today. Let's say it today at 12.30 in front of the State Library of Victoria. Mantha, thank you so, so much for your time on the program this morning. Was there anything you wanted to add to the discussion? So I'd like to thank you again for the opportunity, Giselle. So it, it, we really appreciate uh, when the media and the honest media approach us and ask us about what's happening in our country. Because as you know, the mainstream of the media, they don't really talk about what's really happening over there. So what I want to say at the end, so just, you know, if, 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 you're, if you're listening to us, please come down today. And if you want to help the Syrian people, there are a lot of relief organizations now working to help the refugees, particularly in the refugee camps. Uh, so please make donations to them as well. So at some time in your life, you might need help. And hopefully this will be paid back to you. Thank, thank you. you very much. Thank you so much. That was Monta Hamdouche. He is an activist in the Syrian community here in Melbourne, Australia. He's one of the organisers and one of the speakers at this afternoon's demonstration. So get along to that rally. It is at 12.30pm today at the State Library. It's 26 minutes past nine o'clock here on Community Radio 3CR. I'm going to go do some community announcements and then I'll be back. Na, 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 na. Make sure you get to the International Women's Day Rally and March in 2018. It's on Thursday the 8th of March at 5.30pm at the State Library. Hear from extraordinary women activists, including unionists, disability rights activists, Aboriginal women and those campaigning against police repression. Join working women across Victoria for IWD on Thursday the 8th of March at 5.30pm at the State Library. We have a world to win. Yeah, uh, I forgot that I was the person who made that announcement. Very sorry, comrades. Not trying to dominate the show with my own voice, but there you go. You must get along to the International Women's Day Rally in March this year. It's on Thursday the 8th of March. You just heard all of those details, 5.30, also at the State Library. Um And that was the wonderful Jill Scott singing in the background there, one of my favourite songs at the moment, Run, Run, Run. Uh, So check that out too if you want to. Um, I also want to announce an event that AAWL and AFIDA are co-hosting. It's a public meeting called Women Organising Globally. It features a panel of local and international organisers. So Shruti, who is an organiser for the International Food Workers Union, Ira, who is the organiser for the NUW, the National Union of Workers, in their farm workers team. So she'll be one of the speakers I will be one of the speakers and I'm talking about AAWL's global picket line work. Sam Bond, who is the Melbourne organiser for AFIDA, will be talking about some of the international organising locally and organising internationally work that AFIDA is doing. I think we've got a special guest appearance by one of the organisers of the ACTU as well. And of course, the whole panel is being chaired by the fabulous Lisa Zanata from the CFMEU. So all of this is happening on Monday night, Monday the 5th of March at 6pm to 8pm at the MUA Auditorium and that is 46 to 54 Island Street, West Melbourne. 
There are some other International Women's Day events and I'm going to um, play some announcements for them. But don't forget that 3CR has 24 hours of women's broadcasting on Thursday the 8th of March. So tune in all day on that day for um, special women's programming. It's going to be a great day. It always is. But also don't forget in all of the hype and celebratory rhetoric that comes with International Women's Day, that actually it is a day of struggle. It's a day for women to advance the struggle for the rights of women and an end to sexism um, and equality for all. So it is a day of struggle. Very easy to get caught up in the hype. Let's not do that. Okay, that is that brings me to the end of the show. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Giselle Hanna. You've been listening to Asia Pacific Currents. Tune in again next Saturday from 9 o'clock for more news and current affairs from the Asia-Pacific region. And coming up next is Palestine Remembered. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.